0: Hello and welcome to Birkbeck Voices. My name is Louisa Ackerman and today I'm talking to Daniel Monk from Birkbeck's School of Law about his research into school dress codes and what debates around them can tell us about childhood, education and politics in contemporary Britain. He will be delivering a free talk on 20th of March at City and Islington College as part of Birkbeck's Big Ideas series. A link to book your free place for this will be in the description of this podcast. If you're interested in learning more or asking Daniel any questions, please do come along. So why do school dress codes matter to the field of legal studies?
1: Well, that's a good question because it's not obvious that law would have much to do with dress codes but there are a number of reasons why it's relevant to legal studies. The first of is that law's always been had a long interest in fashion right from the medieval and Tudor sumptuary laws where law actually dictated what everybody should wear. So in a sense school dress codes are just continuing a long tradition where law has decided what people should and shouldn't wear. Um, As a profession, it's very unusual that the, unlike lots of professions, law is actually very concerned about what people wear, even though it considers itself as a discipline only to be concerned with the written word and the text. A lot of legal studies these days, contemporary critical legal studies, focuses on the visual relevance of legal studies. And directly about school dress codes, law provides the statutory legal framework which dictates who determines what children should wear and who determines who should decide what children's wear. And where there's a dispute, it's a whole range of human rights provisions and children's rights provisions and statutory laws that judges use to try and determine who should decide whether it's right or wrong, what's being demanded by a school.
0: You mentioned children's rights briefly. (coughs) How are children's rights a distinct and separate thing from human rights? And what does the debate around uniform tell us about mm. how we perceive children's rights?
1: Yeah, the difference between children's rights and human rights is a fascinating question because it begs, forces us to question what is the difference between a human and children? Why aren't human rights children's rights? And it goes to the heart of the distinction between childhood and children. Because we have separate rights for children... What law is implicitly saying is that childhood is a separate legal category. They can't be treated like other humans. And that often means that we tell children what to do in their best interests. So a lot of children's rights are not about allowing children to make their own decisions, but about protecting them and telling them what to do. Whereas when we think of human rights, it's more about respecting autonomy. I think what the debates about dress codes tell us about children's rights is that we're actually, as a society, very ambivalent about what children's rights actually means. Uh, children's rights was defined, I think it was by Hillary Clinton, she said it's uh, children's rights were a slogan in search of a definition. And in this area that becomes to the fore very clearly, because people who think that children should have strict uniforms and that dress codes should be applied very severely and very strictly they would argue that it's good for children that it's in the best interests of children and on the other hand people who argue against school uniforms and against dress codes which might include children well actually some children want uniforms so it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily that children don't want uniforms i think it's more complicated than that but people who do argue against dress codes and school uniforms they would also say that they're respecting children's rights so children's rights can get you Wherever you want to go in this debate, it doesn't actually provide an answer to the question.
0: And what has happened in the past when children have disputed their dress codes?
1: Um, well, generally, the quick answer is that children generally lose. They don't have much power in relation to dress codes. The power is solidly with schools and head teachers and governing bodies, to determine what children should wear. They have the power, and the courts are very reluctant to interfere with the discretion of head teachers and school governing bodies. So sometimes when you see stories in the news and there's a public outcry, the governors will react very quickly and they may change their law a little bit. But more often, it's upheld, and often children can be excluded from school for not uh, complying with dress codes. Where you do see cases actually progressing further, where challenges do go further into the courts, it's often where a child can argue that the dress code contravenes their religious freedom rights or their cultural rights. So there are a number of cases where... um, There are cases where... um, Muslim girls have argued that restrictions on the veil contravene their religious rights. There is a famous case where um, a Sikh girl uh, argued that the refusal to allow her to wear uh, a Sikh bangle, uh, the kanga, that that intervened her rights. And there's a case where a um, Black afro Caribbean boy was um, argued that his rights were interfered with because he wanted to wear his hair in dreadlocks, and it was held that was part of his cultural rights. So. Where a child is simply saying, I don't like the dress code, then they haven't got a chance. But where they can link their objection to a human rights principle about freedom of religious expression or rights to ethnicity, identity, that gives them a chance for a better case to succeed. But even then, in most cases, they're still unsuccessful.
0: And what about in terms of gender variations? I know every so often there's um, a story about a boy going to school in a dress or a skirt because he's annoyed that girls get this provision for summer, whereas he's not allowed to wear shorts.
1: So, I mean, a lot of uniforms. And I should make clear uh, we're not just, when I talk about dress codes, we're not just talking about school uniforms. (laughs) Lots of schools, all schools have dress codes. Whether they have uniforms or not, all schools actually have dress codes. And often it's about gender. So you can have a school that doesn't have a uniform at all, but it allows um, girls to wear their hair long, but boys have to have have their hair cut a certain length. Um, It's often about hair, and things are turning to the body as much as clothing that gets regulated by dress codes. And where gender comes into play, we haven't seen many cases yet where they've argued that successfully. There are a couple of cases. There's a famous case in Northern Ireland where a boy wanted the right to have long hair. And he lost because that was just considered a question of fashion. And that's where the, the law links to employment law generally relating to adults. But I think we're going to see more case law in that area. Some head teachers, interestingly enough, it's been in the private sector, in the independent sector. Some progressive independent schools are now... Indicating that that actually being a little bit more flexible around gendered dress codes. But we're not seeing that across the board.
0: Thank you very much. If you're interested in hearing more then please do come along to Daniel's talk on the twentieth of March.